For if you will, please turn to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. If you're reading from the Red Pew Bibles, please turn to 835. 835. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of age. Amen. Some truths must never be forgotten. Each of the lessons this evening will deal with a truth that people should never forget. First, we should never forget the value of a soul. Let me say it again. We should never forget the value of a soul. A question we can ask ourselves is, what makes something valuable? What makes a thing valuable? And there are several answers that can be given, but just for example, scarcity. Drinkable water is worth a fortune in the desert because it is so scarce and hard to find in that type of environment. The utility. The value is determined by how useful an item item is in a given situation. So let's say you run out of gas in the middle of El Paso, in between El Paso and San Antonio. I mean, there's nothing in between there. It's just desert. I mean, gas out there is like gold because it's so hot. And also we can look at the durability of, of an object, of an item. The longer it lasts, the more that it's worth. For instance, a brand new car that practically has no miles on it generally costs more than an older model with 150,000 miles on it. It's, it's just not as durable as the other car. Please turn to Mark chapter 8, verses, or verses 36 and 37. Mark chapter 8, verses 36 and 37. We'll go there in a little bit, but... What, what is the value on our soul? What, but what about our soul? Your soul is precious primarily because of its durability. It will endure forever because of, the tr- because of this truth. The most important thing a person can do is to be concerned about his or her soul and the souls of other people around him. He who wins souls is wise. Proverbs 11 verse 30. So tonight, let's consider what the Bible says can be done about the soul. First off, a soul can prosper. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. 3 John, verse 2. Our souls, when we love, serve, and seek God with every fiber of our being, all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Matthew 27, 37 through 38. If we follow what the Bible is telling us in these verses, our souls can prosper and we can help others around us by doing the same and leading by example and teaching them these words from God. Second, a soul can be lost. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Mark 8.36 Our soul is the most important and valuable thing we own in our life today. And it's something that we should keep close to us and never lose. As a wise man regards, 
as a wise man righteously regards his soul more precious than all the gold and silver he could ever own in his lifetime. Woe to those who lose their soul. Third tonight, a soul can be exchanged. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Mark Mark 8.37. That's just the verse that we read. Jesus spoke in the preceding verse about gaining the whole world. The implication is that one soul can be exchanged for the things of the world, but anybody who would do that would be considered a fool. I mean, we have to hold tight to our souls. I mean, look at what the last verse just said, Mark 8.36. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? I mean, nothing on this earth is worth selling your soul because we leave all these worldly possessions behind when we enter eternity. However, we do bring our souls with us. Fourth, a soul can be required. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? Luke twelve twenty. It, it's challenging to think that God may require one soul at the most unexpected and challenging times in our life. A soul can be saved. That's fifth tonight. Whoever brings back a sinner from, this wander, from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. James 5.20 We can also look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, and that states, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Our souls are saved when we repent of sinful living and submissively and obediently follow God and his ways. All of this we must do to be saved and we must do to save our souls. And we're told by God to do that through his word, which is the book he gave us, the Bible right here. He gave us this. And sixth and finally tonight, a soul can be shepherded. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as though those who must give an account. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. The most important work that the elders do is watch over the souls of the flock. That's all of us in this assembly tonight, and that's all of us who are a part of this congregation here at Katy. Jesus is the good shepherd, and our souls ought to long for and follow after him. John 10, 14. May all people everywhere give proper attention to their souls, because it is the most precious and valuable thing we have in this life and is the only thing that we will take with us from this world to eternity. So we need to ask ourselves, are we really trying to let our souls grow and prosper? Are we just forgetting it and leaving it for worldly possessions? Eric came up and talked to us before, looked at me and Cody and said, they've brought y'all out of retirement. Only thing I could think of is Michael Jordan came out of retirement and won three championships after. So we're extremely glad to be here and do this. Um, I, I speak for everybody here. We're extremely glad that we have the opportunity to come up here and work on these skills because it really does help. We just talked about the value of a soul, and now we're going to be talking about sincerity and, and what, be, what does sincere mean? 
What does the word sincere mean? What does sincerity mean? In ancient times and and marketplaces, pottery was commonplace. And what people would do is you could go into these um, stores and you could buy pottery and you could buy ceramic pottery. However, what sometimes uh, merchants of those potteries would do is if there was a crack in them, they would take wax and they would fill in that crack and then they would paint over it uh, so they could still sell that piece of pottery. If the buyer was wise, before they bought that piece of pottery, they would take it and they would hold it up to the light and when they held it up, they could see that there was a crack in that piece of pottery. If the pottery had not been broken, it was said to be sincere. It was without wax. It was, it was sincere pottery. When it comes to serving God, most people think that sincerity is important, and they are very correct in that statement. Joshua twenty four fourteen says, Fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth. Tonight, I want to look at three things that the Bible has to say about sincerity and how we are, how we are supposed to, to worship God. If you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, that's where we're going to be for our first point. Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to look at verses 21 through 23. The first thing that the Bible has to say about sincerity is that some people are sincere, yet they are wrong. 21 through 23 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus warns us here that there's going to be a lot of people in this world that truly believe they are serving God and that they are doing the right thing, and they're sincere in what they're doing, but they will be lost on judgment day. John chapter 16, verse 2 says, The time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. Jesus said that some people are sincerely going to think that by killing Christians, they are offering God service. And then we we come to the Apostle Paul, and in Acts chapter 23, verse 1, it says, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Most of us know the story of Paul, but before he was Paul, he was Saul. And Saul persecuted Christians, he killed Christians, he was a very bad man. And while he was wrong, he was still sincere in what he was doing. He thought that that was right. So the Bible says that some people are sincere, but they are wrong. The second thing that the Bible says about sincerity is that people can do right, yet they are not sincere. Turning your Bibles to the book of Jonah, and we're going to look at chapter 4. Most of us know the story of Jonah. Jonah is probably the most successful preacher in terms of numbers when it comes to Old Testament times. But he was very angry in this particular scenario. Um, Jonah had been asked to go preach a sermon to the people of Nineveh, and he didn't want to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was a a bad place. He he did not want to go there. And so God sent the, the great big fish, and he swallowed him up, and he was in the belly of the great big fish for three days and three nights. 
And after that, Jonah was spat out and he went and he taught the sermon to the Ninevites. And the Ninevites heard his sermon. They wanted to repent. They wanted to uh, be a part of what they had heard. And so in Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was, this, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Jonah was upset because God was gracious and he was merciful toward the Ninevites. And Jonah didn't think that they deserved that. And so Jonah, he was doing right. He was preaching what God wanted him to do, but he wasn't sincere in that preaching. We get to Judas in John chapter 12, verse 6, it says, This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had, money, and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. From the outside looking in, Judas looks like a good person. He looks like he wants to help the poor. He wants to take the money that is given to help the poor. But that's not the case. Judas wants the money for himself. It looks like he's doing the right thing, but he's not sincere. We have the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. Jesus said, to, said about them, These people draw near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Again, from the outside looking in, the Pharisees look like people who want to serve Jesus. They want to serve God, but their heart is not in the right place. And sometimes we need to ask ourselves if we ever find ourselves going through these types of situations. Is our heart in the right place? Are we being sincere in the service of God. The third thing that the Bible says about sincerity is that truth and sincerity are both essential to be pleasing to God. Truth and sincerity are both essential to be pleasing to God. When we worship, we must do so in spirit and truth, John chapter 4, verse 24. And the word spirit means we need to do it with sincerity. If we just come here and we sit in the pews and we're just kind of moving our lips and we're not really meaning the words that we're singing, are we really doing it with sincerity in our heart? No. And so when we worship God, we're supposed to do it in spirit and truth and sincerity. In living the Christian life, we should do the right things because we sincerely love God with all our hearts. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. So I'd like to leave all of us with a question. Can the people around us and can the people in the world see that we are really sincere about Jesus? Is Jesus the number one priorities, priority in our life? Because if he's not, then we're not being sincere. And so what do our lives and what do our attitudes say about our sincerity in serving him? I find it interesting that when Jesus left heaven and came to earth, he came in the way that he did. And what I mean by that is Jesus, to the eye, looked, he didn't look to be anything special. It wasn't like he had the nicest clothes. It wasn't like he glowed everywhere he went, like in the paintings. Jesus is just a normal-looking man. So normal, Judas had to literally point him out when they were arresting Jesus. 
Jesus being so normal and insignificant to the eye, despite all those things, Jesus is the most unique person to ever live. Four things tonight as we consider Jesus and his uniqueness. Number one tonight, Jesus is the only person to walk the earth that chose to be born. Obviously, you and I didn't choose to be born on, on whether or not we were going to be born, but Jesus, he did. John chapter 1 verse 2 tells us that Jesus was in the beginning with God. And I think it's important to notice that, that Jesus, he wasn't just a fluke. Jesus wasn't born like you and I were born. He didn't live his life and somehow he didn't sin and somehow he fulfilled every prophecy that was ever written about him. No, Jesus, was, Jesus has been since the beginning and he was born 100% man and he was born 100% God. Jesus being 100% God left heaven and came to this world. Philippians chapter 2 talks about how Jesus emptied himself. He chose to empty himself by taking the form of a servant and was born in the likeness of men. By him doing this means that he gave up some things. Just to try and make, make this a little easier to understand, the cross wasn't the only sacrifice that Jesus made. Jesus, he, he lived and he came down from, from heaven and he came to earth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, living in heaven with God, for our sakes became poor. He came down to earth, that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus knew that his birth would mean that he would have to give up the glories of heaven and die for us, and he decided to come down to earth anyways. Moving on, number two, Jesus is the only one whose birth affects everyone's calendar. You know, for some people, birthdays, for some reason, are a really, really big deal. For me, I'm at the point in my life where I don't care if it's my birthday. Um, I'm a day older than I was the day before, and as Tracy Lawrence once said, time marches on. It's not a big deal. For Jesus, though, the whole world calendar has been changed. It's been altered. For 2,000 years, history has been divided and recognized with two parts of the timetable. And it all came to be with the birth of Jesus. You have, you have B.C. and A.D. B.C., which stands for before Christ, and A.D., what I used to think was after dinosaurs, actually stands for Anno Domini, which translated means year of our Lord. It's crazy significant to think that the birth of a child in Bethlehem would hold the records of history for not just believers, but unbelievers as well. Number three tonight, Jesus is unique in the sense that he is the only one who never sinned. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 tells us that Jesus had no sin. Committed no sin, the Bible says. I've heard people say things similar to, oh, well, Jesus may have not sinned, but he just wasn't tempted in the ways that I'm tempted. No, that's, that's wrong. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. We try and we try to live a perfect life, and we've all fallen short, but Jesus ran a perfect race, Jesus lived a perfect life, and that's one of a kind, and that's unique. Number four tonight, Jesus is the only one who can save. John 14, verse 6, Jesus says and makes the claim, I am the way I'm the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
Turning your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. A few more thoughts and the lesson will be yours. Once you get there, look at verses 6, then we're going to read through verse 9. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But Christ demonstrates his own love towards us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. It's Jesus who died for you. It's Jesus who justifies you, and it's Jesus who saves you. Maybe you are here tonight, and maybe you have not been saved. You've not been washed in Jesus' blood through the waters of baptism, and you are lost. Maybe you have been added to the church, but you've continued in sin, and you have felt a need for, for repentance. There are only two kinds of people in this world. they are slaves of sin, and there are slaves to God. And it's up to you which you are going to be. Whatever your need may be, please come as we stand and as we sing.